Fuck it, go ahead. Right, here we go. We are recording. Here we are. Today's guest on the Ground Zero Life Without Limits podcast is Dean Clark. Now, this guy has got one epic story. Literally, we were just talking before we come online now. This guy's been in the military. He's been a bodybuilder. He's weighed like 130 kg. The man suffers with bipolar. He's got his own training unit. I mean, the list is absolutely endless. There's been drug and alcohol abuse, suicide attempts. I mean, I could be here all day going on this list, but he is one amazing dude. Found him online, wrote to him, reached out to him a little bit, and he got straight back to me. We connected, and this is how this little story's beginning. So, hey, Dean, how's it going today, man? Yeah, it's good. It's good. Thanks for the intro. It's nice. Good. I appreciate that one. That's all right, mate. Well, look, give the people a little bit of stats. They just want to know a little bit about you, what you do now, for example. So give them a little bit about what you're doing now, where you're going with your life, and then we'll go into more of your history, dude. Yeah, yeah. So so now is um, using using the, the stability in my life from what's happened in the last kind of six years as, as a platform to be able to primarily just get the message across of... of the, not so much the skills that I've learned, but it's more about the experience. There's a shared experience and a shared story is, is, is how we're going to raise awareness. So that's kind of my primary fulfillment as such is raising awareness with the men's mental health side, suicide awareness. Um, and then my passion for fitness, it's, it's, it is a absolute focal point of my life. Um, and having the ability to be able to share the passion with people, primarily being, being a personal trainer is, is where that I'm creating my my success. Um, now at the minute, working working out of uh, it's a really cool place. It's uh it's built up from just the spit and sawdust. It re- it was originally a cattle shed, and I was I was asked to come on board and and work there by my closest friend, who no doubt we'll talk about. She's she's um a vital part to where I am now personally and work life as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we get the most amazing people through. We get the most incredible people coming through. People that whereabouts you know, are they, you in the country? They've all got just, stories. Just so people know, where are you in the country? Uh, we're in Hitchin, so it's Hertfordshire. Um, when we're about, we're literally about five minutes outside of the Hitchin Centre. So you are, you are, you've either heard of it or you haven't got a clue where it is on the map. But um, we're about. 30 minutes north um, by train from London Central. And what's it got? Is it it like a CrossFit setup? Has it got rigs? Like people can train out of sessions or is it just for sessions? You do groups or can people like come out of sessions and train there? How does it work in your facility? Uh, so primarily it's a fully private studio um, and gym which we try and get away from the word gym because what our, one of our key kind of strap lines as such and, and belief is that we're more than a gym um, so it's primarily the focal point is group exercise which I, I believe is a transition of getting people from being absolutely petrified about training for whatever reason gym anxiety is huge huge um, <laughs> and we've kind of built that safe haven so so that's like, that's the primary place. It's a hub for the group exercise. We get to deliver fun. We, we deliver fun, effective training and, and just create a safe haven for people. Like not, not everybody wants to eat chicken and rice. <laughs> not everybody wants to count their macros and it, it's getting a social environment. And then from that, we've, we've got personal trainers there. And, and Lisa's the late Lisa, who, who owns Rock itself, um, she runs a tight network and then from there we've got our transformation projects which it's not it's not aimed at weight loss it's aimed at a lifestyle change and as much as it's a cliche it's just giving people tools and the confidence um, so we run that side on which is called the rock your body project and it's it's giving those people that confidence to go and exercise and carry on and that that's the primary the primary um aim of it objective is to give the people the confidence to then carry it on we only get six weeks with them and then we have the personal training side of it and we all run different parts elisa works a lot with menopause and rehabilitate like she's she's next level knowledge like <laughs> next level knowledge and um, and then we've got a run, we've got a running coach uh gail she's well, i know you're, you're from your background she runs 
and then you won't see her for about six hours. <laughs> she's, That's a bit like me. She, she, she is, she is, yeah, not like you, man. She, she is phenomenal runner, like ph- phenomenal. Um, we got a lady called Jackie. She's ex-military. Um, she's like one of those compassionate people. I think I've come across in my life. She's, she's created this blend of incorporating family life with training. Uh-huh. And it's it's not like it's a niche. It's just she's passionate about her family. Like you'll see her family out all the time. They're out in the fields. They're playing. They're being young boys, and she's adapted that to her training principles. It's so it's she, impressive. It's impressive. Does she work well with like mums and stuff like that, and family people that have got like tight for time and all that type of thing? And eating isn't always bang on. She works well with those type of clients better. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, definitely. That, I mean, that's my. That's that's how I look at it. I, I always take my interpretations away from the trainers that I train alongside with, um, and try to look at look at them as if I'm a client instead of what you know about training. And yeah, hundred percent. She's um, she's very understanding that that mums, single mums, families is irrelevant. It's you don't have much time, <laughs> and you got to utilize it, and then you got to realize. Yeah, it's hundred percent right, mate. So listen, so what is your speciality? Now, I've already touched a little bit on you, mate. So, you know, I mean, I know a lot of guys yeah. I've had. You're a scribbins on it. He is a big bodybuilding power coach. I mean, he must weigh 120 kg. Yeah. So he must have been massive at 130. That is ridiculous, dude. Do you mainly help me on the strength side, bodybuilding side? What's your angle? So, so yeah, well, I hit well, my 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 cap was one twenty in an off season. That my cap was, um, but yeah, so um, it's I'm starting to go down the strength and conditioning. So that, so one of the goals is to get onto the UK uh, <clears throat> strength and um, SC association. So that's kind of the focus a minute. But in terms of it, is I can't put myself down as a strength conditioning coach. Um, and it's more, I, I come up with a new element because I believe everybody's missing something um, and everyone's missing something different. And my, my job is to find out what that is. So I, don't, I wouldn't put myself, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a life coach. Uh, I'm not a coach by any means. And I, I wouldn't classify myself in that bracket, but... What I, what I do have the ability to do is to find out what people are missing. Um, and that's why, that's why I come with new element. Like we've all got, we've all got skills. Skills are really, skills are, and aptitude is really easy to teach. So I can teach you to shower, right? You can teach, I can teach you to shower, but to get your ass up from your alarm clock every morning to go and shower, that's, that's attitude, that's behavior. And that's something that I work alongside with people. It's like find out their strengths and utilize their strengths and bring their bring their weaknesses up. Right? And, I, and I know everyone's got a different angle, but I won't I don't necessarily drive into people's weaknesses unless it's in training where they're having balances in their knees through their hip stability or if I want to try and make a marginal gain in their in their running times. However, mentally it's it's finding out what what they are missing to, to then apply to it. And it I use people's strengths. So I use a complete different concept to what, when people say they're like, well, why don't you build people's weaknesses up? It's like, well, we do do that. We do do that. However, you've got, you've got to utilize people's strengths as well to make them better. And I kind of like what you said there. I'm not not great. What I kind of like what you've said there is, is basically that, like I like the thing that every person on this planet has a gift. Some people live their whole life. And they never find that gift, yeah? Like whether yeah. it's working on the, the, the till at Tesco, swiping food, or whether it's like base jumping or rock climbing or being an MP, who knows? But everyone's got a gift and some people live their whole life and they never find it. And what I kind of like is you're trying to find what their gift is. Do you know what I mean? Like, for example, people don't realize there's yeah. no particular body type to be a great runner, yeah? You, you could go from being a non-runner to a marathon runner within within six months easy. But your body type might not change much, but you might be a lot fitter, right? It's Man. like finding those niches for people. And that's kind of what I feel like you're saying. And from your experience of life, mate, 
I can tell you now, it doesn't matter if you've got a life coach qualification or not, because that guy, whoever nah. created the life coach qualification, he was just a normal guy with life experience, right? It, it makes no difference because then he created a, an affiliation. No, 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 you're right. You're right. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, no, you're 100% right. And I think it's, I think that, like, you look at, it, um, I looked at a recent Pete Stables. Yeah, the, yeah. Um, you know, I think looking through, oh, man, that bloke is an animal. I love him. I've had him on the wow. podcast. Um, you so yeah, yet, no? yeah, I know. I listened to this. I was watching the thing. And I was like, I've got to give that guy a follow. But that, the, the, the guy's a power lifter and will go and knock out, like, distances that just... It, it, they're incredible and it, going back to the body type it's like the first thing I say to someone when they come in is like do you like running and they're like no we won't run and, that, and that's it it's kind of like it's, it's it's trying to find what people enjoy in life is actually quite hard because when when you come into training everyone associates it with the same thing and actually, like, there's some programs where I run sports stuff with people. So, like, what do you enjoy? Like, oh, I enjoy football. Okay, let's 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 attach let's attach a big elastic cable to you, and then make you play football. And they don't realise that they're they're utilising what they're passionate about and love, and what they're good at, and and they're making their life better by utilising stuff that they never knew existed, mm-hmm. and they can just go and take it on to somewhere else. And that's how we're gonna. That's how we're always gonna try and find finding people and then in terms of in terms of like mentally we've all got our uh, demons Every, everyone's got our de- fuck, fuck me right <laughs> i can't i've got the biggest demons like daily 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 we'll talk about it later but it, everyone's got them and it's not about fighting them it's understanding them i'm i'm a big advocate of understanding your emotions and when you understand your emotions, you, 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 learn to, you learn to work with them. Like, I won't battle bipolar. I work with it. Like, we'll fall out. Like, geez, like me and bipolar will not have the greatest of days. But the only way I'm going to live each day is by living with it and along it and respecting it. Um, and that's my demon. My bipolar is my demon. Amongst other things from the army, but primarily bipolar demon. We've all got it. And, and yourself, and you, we spoke briefly, like anyone was putting things back on Instagram. And it's, you know, it could be someone, it could be anxiety. It might not even be mental health illness related. It could, it could be absolutely anything. We've all got them. My Mate. job's to find it. And I will. I will find it. When I had my mental breakdown many moons ago, what people generally don't realise is it's a lifetime in the making. So you, 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 people think these things happen overnight, but they don't realise it might have taken 20 years to get to that point. So it isn't going to be fixed within six months. Yeah. But I remember my coach at the time, who was right. a guy called Russell Davies, amazing guy. I literally randomly seen him online. He lived near I was. He moved down from London, luckily created a new business here in Cornwall and the rest is history. And he totally changed my life. But I remember him telling me something similar story once about a famous guy. I can't remember names and he was schizophrenic and he always thought he had a certain person following him around wherever he goes, almost like a ghost. No one else could see it except him. And it drove him insane. It drove him into mental homes. It drove him to do crazy stuff to get rid of this person who followed him. And one day he just discovered, yeah, that, if he just accepted that person was going to be there and that was the way he was going to live his life and whether he was going to talk to him or not, it all sounds a bit crazy. His life changed and his schizophrenia virtually went. And the guy who followed him for like 20 years here, who was talking to him his whole life, one day he woke up and disappeared and it was gone, right? Because people don't realize the more you try and fight these mental demons or battle with them, then try and work alongside them, cruising along, just monitoring that they're there, yeah? You dig yourself that hole. Every time you go into a bad place, no one's doing that to you. You are always doing it to yourself. You are always digging your own grave. Circumstances don't always help. But I think the biggest realization is, I think, is when you realize that sometimes, and I liked what you said the other day on your video was, you get people to check you in or you check in with yourself. And some days I'm like, shit, I must be in a low place. Because all my thinking's low. Right. Like, and I try and explain to people when you're in a good place, nothing bothers you. Like, you know, if a wasp comes inside your car, you're not bothered. You know, it's just going to fly out. If you're in a bad place, that wasp literally is like a pterodactyl's flown in your car and you're trying to fight it out. Yeah. It's all about what places you're in. You need to recognize what place you're in, except don't make special decisions yeah. for 
massive decisions when you're in a low place. Just wait for yourself to come out of them and then, and then make them. But it's knowing when you're in them and when you're not in them. And that's the trick. I mean, you've probably got loads to say on this. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I am. Um, the checking in thing is something that I adapted, but I try what, what I try and use with people, people now, myself, is like I, I started to study resilience and like it, it was, it, it's like it's huge. Like, you, if you actually go up to somebody, like, and say, you know, like, what is not the dictionary, like, but what is resilience? And you, you'll get everyone's interpretation of it, which is great. However, I never really actually got back what it was from a lot of people. So I started to like dive in deep. Like I knew I was resilient. Like I'm, I'm one resilient motherfucker. Like I know I am, but it doesn't feel like it at the time. And it, I got these books. There's a book by Joe Owen where it's like 10 skills to thrive in your work and your personal <laughs> life. And I'm like, this is complicated. This, this is complicated. So I kind of took away and, and come up with, the like, and I and I started to translate emotions and realize that I brought it down. I come across something. I was like, well, there's four steps in my eyes to resilience, and it's a concept that I've seen in little places. And I was like, I need to utilize that. And it's it's shock, endure, adapt, and thrive. And you can put that with absolutely everything you do in life. Like you look at IKEA, right? And I use this. I use like the simplest of things, and it's all by choice. Like you can put yourself into a certain situation of stress, like, and I use flat pack, right? Ikea, right? That is one of the hardest single direction navigational circuits in the place. Like it's, it's brutal. And, and then the stress of doing a flat pack, however, you, you'll put yourself into that situation every time. So the shock of going there, you get the flat, like it's chaos in there. You come back and you have your kind of to and fro and you're enjoying your relationships. You're like, come on, you go and put the coffee down. You go and do the tea. I'm going to endure this hardship. Like you've got to endure that. And then all of a sudden you make a system. You start adapting, you lay it all out, you, you lay the parts out and then, and then you thrive. And, what happens when you thrive is you, you've got that bookcase up and you start utilizing it. And then all of a sudden that bookcase, every now and again, you'll look at it and go, yeah, that's pretty cool. I've done well there. And then after a while, it just blends into the environment and that's thriving. And I, I do that, the same concept with uncertainty. Like, I mean, let's just use COVID. Like in December, okay, it was China recognized, recognized that there was a virus, COVID-19. And we this this is uns this is uns like we've never been in this territory before and every single day is different and we went through the same four stages and everyone's everyone's going through different parts like that shock of of uh, back in March where it's like we're going in lockdown every, everybody has a right to be in shock because that that was that's tough that was tough today no one's been through this there's no dry drills there's no practice run through. And then you got it. We went through hard. We we all endured some serious pain, serious mental pain, but we had to go through it. There was no doubt we had to go through it. And some people still going through it every now and again. And then people, you know, over thirty thousand people have sadly lost their lives. It's devastating. And and then they're going through their own four stages. And you start adapting. People are working from home. Supply chains, food. They they're starting to replan well. They've got a system. Okay, it's not. And now we're thriving. Like people are thriving. It doesn't mean you've got to be bouncing off the walls, but we're utilizing the resources. We're, we're doing everything we can to get by. And, and a lot of us are thriving. And all of a sudden, something else happens. And in that situation, you might go back to shock again, but you can still thrive in other places. And I, I try to get people to understand what point they're in in that event. And, and it's absolutely everything. You can relate those four steps to resilience, to absolutely anything in your life. Is there anybody that you kind of like or look up to that you've thought, he is a proper badass motherfucker, love following them or their story or their videos? I mean, who out there over the years, have you looked oh. at, oh, that's got me out of a shit one, watching them or listening to them in particular? Do you know what I'm saying? Like a lot of people, I like David. Yeah, people like that. Do you know what I'm saying? I just yeah. sometimes I love their story. I just love listening to it. Like you know, when they're real with themselves. Yeah, I think I mean there, David Goggins. You know when he sits yes, there and he says, so "I was spineless. I was weak. I was a liar. I did this, this, and this." And yeah. mate, 
I was a people pleaser. And I get so many people come to me and they're like people pleasers. Yeah. And they're like, oh, I've got this friends network. Yeah, but mate, you might have 20 friends, but I guarantee three of them have only got your back, if that. Do you know what I mean? The rest of them are associates, and it's very hard oh. advice, you know? Yeah, no, I think the, um, I've always looked at it, depending on where I'm in, with, with Bipolar, we go to the Bipolar, it, it always checks, like David Goggins played a little bit of a part, actually, like, uh, you can't hurt me, like that, <laughs> I listened to the audio, because they have that kind of intervention in between the chapters, and I was like, Mate, like, and the and the fact that it's the way he talks about the the brain that you know is is very dumbed down and and it's lo- and it it makes sense and so yeah he's played a bit of a part. Um, I think I take it from different people. The um, I started to look at some of the yeah massively hundred percent. Um, I'm kind of looking like now. It's. I'm I'm finding people that are kind of in the biz, like business side of life, where like Simon Sinek, I'm I find him like I I I don't believe in motivation in terms of finding it from elsewhere. It's you, like it's it's I can't motivate someone. I'll inspire them. Great leaders inspire, and they don't motivate because it it's, it comes from you. Motivation's discipline. This this is how I look at it. It's like it motivate you. Action precedes motivation, and the moment that something goes wrong, motivation drops. Like the weight loss world, it's huge, right? There's no such thing as a quick fix. It don't exist. It's hard graft. You've got to work for it. You've got to work your ass off. It's going to be tough. But the moment you step on the scales with high expectations and you've only lost a pound, your motivation drops, and it's kind of like, why, why, why is it dropping? Because you feel like it's gone wrong. Like you feel like something's gone wrong. Your motivation has has just like a fire, someone's just pissed on it. Mate, it's not I'm the in case. the weight gain world. Um, I'm in the weight gain world. So I, I get on the scales, yeah? And if I look and I go, <laughs> shit, I've dropped two pounds, I've gone under 12 stone, I'm literally like driving <laughs> in the hands, right? I'm in, I'm in the weight gain world. I'm in the opposite spectrum, right? That's my issue. Yeah, no, and do you know, the, the principles are the same. And I'll tell you what, weight gain is, uh, unless you... Unless, unless you can sit there with a mortgage full of food and pump it in, it is not. It's not. It's not easy. Um, but yeah, I do. I definitely do think that it's, it comes back to kind of that. And and like I said, the in the terms of in terms of people, a minute. I mean, it's like a lot of business people. But you know, like I said, Simon Sinek. He talks about the infinite game, fighting that infinite game. And I'm I'm getting into the kind of. I'm not going to be this world-class public speaker. It's not, but I've got a message. I've got a story and I want to share it. And people like him are phenomenal. Uh, the way they tell a story and in the world of Ted talks and it's, he fascinates me because he talks about like the golden circle and things like that. And you, it, all about your why. And it's like, why are you doing what you're doing? And then he reflects back to people like Apple and, and Microsoft. And he, he's, he's, for me, he inspires me. It doesn't motivate me, he inspires me. And I'll, I'll open a bit of his book and I'll be like, do you know what, that is why I'm doing it. And it talks about how money is a reward. And, and if you're driven by money, like we need money, I, I get that. But I've had nothing. I, I've had peace all. I've had to give up everything at one time, twice actually, really. <laughs> and it, I don't care whether it's cliche. Money don't make you happy, right? And it doesn't. Right, it can buy you nice things. Oh yeah, <laughs> of course. It can put you on holiday. Great, and and you can have all of these things, right? But when you're at your lowest, and you are rid, like I call it, riddled with depression. Give me all the money in the world; it weren't going to make me happy. And at one point in my life, not even not even my daughter was making me happy because I felt like a fucking failure. So it's, you're in a survival mode. He talks mate, about that, and I can relate to it. When you're in that survival mode, that, like, when, when you're in a survival mode, oh. like nothing, you're, you're just existing, nothing else is happening. And when you get into that zone, you're surviving. Oh. So you're not really giving back to others at all. Like you say of your daughter, not that you're not looking after them. I've been there, but you're, you're not giving them a hundred percent of yourself like you normally would because you're only surviving yourself. Nah. You know what I mean? And that's a tough place. And I've been nah. there with everything. And someone said to me recently, oh, 
you're going into COVID, there'll be everyone will be trapped down. There'll be domestic abuse. That's one thing that you cover. There's this, there's that, there's anxiety. People are going to be coming to you, and you're going to be making a fortune. And I went, mate, to be fair, I told stories online, right? Of my, <laughs> I always say, right? You either believe them or you don't believe them. People pick what they like out of it. If it helps them, it helps them. If it don't, they write to me, they reach out to me, I write back. And I said, to be fair, when you've got nothing and you've had nothing, when you've gone bankrupt or whatever, like I have, and you've probably been in a similar situation, you lose everything, you end up back in your mum's back room at like mid 30s with nothing. I said, You're not bothered about having nothing. You're just bothered about the pleasure of doing something you enjoy. So if you're not really getting rewarded, for it and it's something new you accept that mate do you get what i'm saying i accept i still have to go out and do building work because this doesn't pay full time i accept that but i kind of do both and i enjoy it and if one day i can do it full time yeah. i will do you know what i mean no 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 I, I agree and i think it's um i think that was probably one of the biggest biggest kind of learning curves when i started to get stability and started to understand bipolar and well, i kind of realized it and i went through some excessive touch on the bipolar so, let's have some of that right so you're in the army we won't go massively <laughs> into it right yeah but do you think you've always had an issue since you were younger or do you think it's something that happened from when you was in the military or just just give us a, like a, don't go too mad on it, but just give us a little scale of everything from younger to older, no. how it all come about. What was yeah. you like as a teenager? Well, if we look at like, if we look, oh, fucking hell, I was out of control. Like I had a good upbringing, right? My, my, um, my dad is, is uh, if I could be half a man, my dad is, I'll tell you what, I've succeeded in life. And my mum, she's a battler, she's, she has multiple sclerosis. She's in the final stages. So I, I had a good upbringing. So it wasn't that. Um, everyone says when I was a teenager, I was fucking, I was out of control. I was, I was out of control. I'll be brutally honest with what goes on. And a lot of people are like, oh, you know, he's just part of the wrong crowd. No, I was the wrong crowd. Like, I don't believe being part of the wrong crowd. I, I was the wrong crowd. And everyone around me was the wrong crowd as such. But we all made choices. And we all have, we, we, we can all react to situations, we all have a choice. And um, no, I was bad. I got into drugs, <laughs> um, and at quite an early age, really. Um, Mate, I get got, it. it. The drugs escalated. When I was yeah. fourteen, I and, was um, doing magic mushrooms and smoking weed. So I always say that to people. I've been there when I was younger. Don't know why. It was people were older than me. It was yeah. the groups I hung in. It was just the way it was. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it was, it was a way of then. It was a way of being a teenager, and I look. I'm not actually. I've got to be honest with you. I looked forward to it. I couldn't wait for the weekend to come till we were going. We were going to sit up in the woods and and do do things like ecstasy and stuff like that. Like it was actually like that. it's the realism, right? Don't it's this. That's not like bullshit about stuff like this. And that's not because DNA. these 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 Get things that are not the age. <laughs> well, and the thing is, is that I talk about that stuff because. I can't work out why, why I got bipolar, but that could have played a part. <laughs> you change chemical balances in your brain, so it's going to catch up with you later on in life. Right? It's, let's not go into the science of it, but it, you don't take it and it doesn't affect you. Um, and then, yeah, joined the army, eight years in the army. I was very lucky to go and do the things I got to do. And, and I wasn't just always with my regiment. I was away in other places. I, I was very, very, very lucky to go and work with some Oh, incredible like some some you know, some of the best soldiers in the world i was i was i was very i, I loved it i got to do some things I, was, I finished my last couple of years off um working with the brigade reconnaissance force which was quite like the marines man i like that those guys are fuck it they're like another <laughs> uh, I, i'm gonna get slated for this because i'm in the army but man they're, they're a breed Did and, you uh, I, I learned a lot from them company? and then when i did you do P Company in 299? Um, I did P Company. No. No, I did. Um, so basically, because of the regiment I was in, we weren't really the sort of regiments to go and do P Company. But I did do P Company. Um, got, got, got the Maroon Beret. Um, mate, the, uh, I never did the commando course. Oh, mate. I tell you <laughs> <laughs> I just I used to, I used to do biathlon, so I used to do skiing biathlon um, when I first joined the army. So I had that fitness level, and I've always pushed limits. And yeah, there was times on that where I can I remember I collapsed on the log race in test week, collapsed heat exhaustion, just that, and and a guy unfortunately lost his life on our course in in the first week. 
an officer died, and um, it was fucking sh- that was like. Whew. But yeah, beasted through it, collapsed through here because was a P company was taken by the training staff with a Mars bar sticking out of my mouth in the Land Rover. Woke up in in the med centre with a thermometer in my ass or something in my ass. I don't know what it was. A really attractive nurse was there, and I was like, bloody hell, really like scrawny, skinny, like soldier. And then it was like, well, you know, if you don't go back out, you're going to potentially fail test week. And I can't, I can't, I won't throw a towel in. Like, I just won't do it. You got to, you, you, I won't throw it in. It's just, it just won't happen. So it's a case of going out, went and done a steeplechase after all my fluids and carried on. And, and yeah, P Company was good. And I've got so much respect for the, for the guys in the Paris. So much respect. Fuck, so much respect. Um, you know, I, I was an infantry based. I, I was, I was, in, a, in another branch. So, man, those guys are some hardcore guys. And yeah, when I, I came back off of a tour of Afghan and it was a good tour, working Brigade of Constance Force, phenomenal, right? Phenomenal tour. And I came back and my something changed my mind. I was, I was planning to go on selection. I never made selection. So I'm not sitting here saying that I'm, I never made selection. I went on a pre-infantry course that, that I had to go and learn some skills for. That was that was kind of run by the UKSF, but I, I didn't I did not go on the selection. But the plan was, um, came back from Afghan and my mind changed. That was it. I was just like, I'm not. I don't want to be in the army. I don't want to do this. It came a shock to the regiment. It came a shock to a lot of people. How old was you? Um, and I think that's where the bipolar started. Uh, Twenty four then, um, and then when I, I left the army, I worked on the Olympics. Obviously, G4S is massive cock up and um, let's let's be honest with you <laughs> so i was able to go and train some people on the, the basic security stuff with the scanner machines it was kind of like look you're leaving dean go and go and do that um which was cool and then when i got out um yeah i mean it's where i think the trauma for me wasn't the tours i mean they they it wasn't i don't i don't personally think i might have played a part the trauma for me was the transition to civvy life that was I, I I believe that was where the trauma was. And it's fuck I would never want to do that again. I'd rather go and do another I, that was brutal. Transitioning from army institutionalized life, which it is, you're told what to do, where to be, what to say, what in the following day. And that's how we run. And you come into Civvy Street and it's that I think that's where I think that's where it started. So it was always PTSD, and you know, whenever people say PTSD, everyone first thinks of the army, which is which is every right to because it's it's so relatable to the armed forces. But we we when you dive into PTSD, it, car incidents, nurses, doctors, it, it's it, it happens across the board. So, it's, but when you leave the army, it is the primarily like you go to a doctor and they'll go. PTSD, like the first thing, it's kind of like, oh, okay. Um, but what happened uh, then? But right, here's some antidepressants, right? How did it spiral I out? Mean, like, you, you come out, and obviously you're saying it was tough and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. You obviously had to go back home and live with mum and dad or whatever was going on. I mean, like, how did things progress then? What did you do as a job? Did the bodybuilding come then in the steroid phase? Or what was happening after that? Did you kind of go off the rails a bit? Yeah, yeah, I got. I did go off the rails. I was with somebody, a long-term partner. I call her. <laughs> I call her the one that got away, right? So anyone that I meet from now will be like, "Oh, you still." But she, well, she's a special lady, and she's the one that got away, and she's and an incredible woman. But I mentally messed that up. Um, I got into bodybuilding. Um, it, I now I realised that it was more of a a version of self harm, which we talk about, and steroids, and I got in lots of trouble some ridiculous amounts of trouble um when i got really big there was a i got in a very big altercation in a town um that caused a lot of a lot of problems it 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 involved a lot of police um i was you know 120 kilos juiced up some very serious anger problems um i was pepper sprayed coshed tasered um I, i was not getting in that police car or van I was not. Um, I just tired out in the end. Um, I was, I was in trouble for a fray on 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 a police constable. Um, 
And yeah, little, little, not say little, but events like that happened. I lost my driving license, all these things. And then uh, EV, um, I become a, a dad very, very last minute unexpected and went through some quite serious court battles. And I was never diagnosed with the bipolar. I went through some really crazy erratic spending, um, went into depression up and down and it was just always PTSD. And it wasn't until um, 2017 was um, the lead up to that. I had a depressive episode of about four or five months, but in and out mixed episode as well. And uh, yeah, I, I, that was, that was it for me. That, that was, that was the final straw for me. And um, it was December the 9th. I can remember it, yeah. And I took, um, I was out. I was, I was gonna, I was going to take my life. It, it, I, I, it, it was happening, and um, it became. It, it was quite impulsive that night. It, it. I went out. I had an argument with my girlfriend at the time. Um, I was drinking way, but way beyond what I should be, and um, yeah, and I, I went back home, took a a very very large overdose um yeah huge uh, i took i took a lot of insulin little did i know really that it was unlikely it it would have probably damaged my pancreas and and some other organs for it did but i took a lot of uh diazepam um there was a lot and it was enough to kill me um that side of it because i'd been drinking so much i'd so basically, um, I had contacted my girlfriend at the time and she clicked on that something wasn't right um, and came to the house, which is part of like a land. And I, she found me upstairs, so it overlooked the kitchen. So she found me upstairs laying face down with just sick everywhere. Um, and then what I now know is she went and waved down somebody outside. So my the, the suicide brought somebody else into it that you know didn't choose to. I don't know who that guy is, but that's the thing about suicide and stuff like that. It's there's other people involved. Um, and yeah, he brought he came in. Paramedics came in. I was taken to hospital. Um, and then sat down with part of the mental health team. Again, it was always PTSD. And the uh, the guy, the, the the doctor was like, right, um, you know, we we're going to suggest at first because there's different types of sectioning, and they're like, we're going to suggest or advise you to go and stay at a hospital for a bit. And it was like that right there was one of the most scariest days of my life because I'm sat in a hospital and I've just tried to take my life and I was gutted that I didn't. I was so angry that I didn't. I still wanted to. I couldn't go anywhere. I had my mum one side of the bed. I had my dad the other that didn't really know what was going on with me. So they've just watched their son try and end his life and I'm still I'm still adamant I'm gonna do it. I'm you know I've got police coming in and out to check and um yeah it's scary and it, it was like I was exposed. I, that's what I felt. I was like, everybody knows. So um, I chose. To, I chose to go to the hospital. I, I went in this mini bus. Turned up at a hospital in Hackney. It was like a prison. Fuck. Honestly, I, I won't comment on the mental health service, but some of the some of the the hospitals. And I get that you've got to be there's high risk and stuff like that. But fucking hell, come on, like. Make, make them a little bit more pleasant for people to go to. Not that it's just gone to, you know, what what I thought of what a mental hospital is, that was it, but worse. Mm. And it's come in, it's like, how, how, in my head, it's like, how do people get better when you've just taken me to a bed? And I'm not, this isn't a dig at the National Health Service by any means. I'll tell you what, I personally think they're doing a fucking good job. Um, and I might explain that later, but I walked in and it's like a mattress, with an itchy scratchy blanket and that was it <laughs> and it's like well, oh, you, the old the old army scratchy blanket yeah i was like i've done this in bed and i kind of like it was i was like i'm not staying here and and it, I, I was I, a bit i was sitting i was like you i was like you've got one or two choices I, I will make i will crush my way through those walls obviously wouldn't but um 
and um, I, I, you can, I managed to blag my way out, um, and it was really simply, and I worked out how to, and I won't, I won't say it. I won't say it now because I don't. I don't want people to. to I, I don't want this to trigger people that are going through their own tough times. I think I, I should have stayed there. It was a very bad decision to do, and um, I got myself out of there. I think a couple of days later, and then um, I was trying to rekindle with my girlfriend at the time, but it was. And then day after Boxing Day, I um, I decided I, I took it upon myself to to go and take my life again. Um, however, this I didn't want to. This was a cry for help, and. I, I, I want to get that message across to people that not everybody wants to end their life. But they they're don't. just lost. No, not everybody. You just want help. Like, you just want help. They just want help. I just wanted help. I didn't want to die. I didn't want to end my life. The first time I did, the second time I did not. I, 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 and um, the whole situation was so surreal. Uh, I was... I, I, I knew where I was going, and in my head, I'm like, someone stopped me. But at the same time, I was going ahead with it. it, it I, I can't explain the emotions. Like, I was going ahead with it, but at the same time, I was like, somebody please stop me. Someone find me, someone pull me over, just somebody come and fucking save me. Because I, I don't know what to do. And then The thing is, I'm just going to butt in on that. A lot of people might not get this, and I kind of get what you're saying, because when you get locked with inside your own head, right, it, it, people don't realise, and I, I had this through anxiety when I had a breakdown, there's so much going on with inside your head, you don't hear anything without the outside world. You're, you think you're connected. You've got no connection with the outside world at all. I'm not saying that people are hearing voices, but what I'm saying is you have a constant power struggle and your mind is running it's like sticking the car in first gear and redlining and driving around everywhere in first gear, right? The car isn't going to last long. And that's really what's happening to your brain those scenarios. And you're constantly, like you say, I've been there. You don't want to die, but you need help, but you don't know what to do. And it's this sway inside your mind, but it's so relentless. It's exhausting. It exhausts you. And sometimes you can oh. just lay there for a minute, shut your eyes, and you start daydreaming. And that's kind of released because you kind of drift off for 10 minutes and zap, you're back in the present moment. You're like, shit, where have I been the last 10 minutes? Because yeah. your brain just needs something just to drift off, dream about anything to come back to reality, to slow down. It's a very weird situation to be in. Very hard situation. I know how you feel because I've been there. But after that, yeah, what it is, it's, it's, it's yeah, so, so I mean, the, in, in a short, I was, I drove down this road and a police car come past and in my head I was like, he's going to blue light, right? This, I was a high risk, so there was obviously a search party out for me and then, yeah, in my wing mirror, blue lights, car turned around and even then I was like, do I run? Do I get out? What do I do? And then all of a sudden it was just this overwhelming I suppose relief. I still can't work out the emotions. I was pulled over. He opened the car. He looked in the footwell. He knew it was me. Um, it obviously, it was very obvious it was me. I sat by the side of the car, by the side of the road, a main busy road, just broke into tears. And and I, and I was like, I want, I need help. Um, and he understood. Like he, there's something happened there, and it was like. And I'll talk about it because I think it's important and people's got mixed views on it. However, I was, I, I had been drinking the day before, but not the morning. So there was a risk that I could have actually been over the limit. And the, um, the, the policeman itself was, one came over and I'll talk about it. So it's not getting any trouble. I said, you know, do, should we breathalyze him? And he was like, look, I think he's got enough on his plate. So and this, this is a thing that people, when I've spoken about this publicly, I get very mixed opinions on it. And people are like, well, you shouldn't have been driving. Well, put it this way, you, there isn't as many people that, don't, that do drink that haven't been over the limit the following day, right? But that's not my argue of a case. It's, the fact is that I never hurt anyone. I didn't crash. I didn't drive off the road. 
And actually, if I was breathalyzed, it could have ended my life. Now, on the flip side of it, I also, if I say I was over the limit, I deserve every single punishment that being over the limit would give you. So it's a very, it's, it's, it's a very like mixed thing. And then I know like the the the, the um, situation from not Anand Deck, but he hit somebody and he's been going through his mental health things. And it's like, well, there's a thousand different situations, and that's how mine unfolded. And I believe that that guy, doctor, that policeman potentially saved my life, but not physically stopped me in the act of doing something or, or my life about to be taken. But there was a bigger picture. And um, yeah, so I got sectioned again. And after I come out of hospital, it wasn't a very long stay. Uh, I went into crisis team, stayed with my mum and dad, <laughs> laid on there, slept on their five foot long sofa and crisis team every day. I had to have my medication bought every day and just I just locked away. And then, then it was the antidepressants. And it was in February, I went from depressed to hypomania times 1000 to the point where it was literally like that i went from this person that hadn't left the house was still contemplating do i need to be here should i be here shall I? like all these things to going out of a shower cleaning myself up going out and completely going the other end of just craziness um, so hang on let me just stop and then yeah so just so people can kind of get a gauge where we're at so one how old was you at this point so we are in two so i was 20 uh 2000 and we'll be turning 20 so i was 28 turning 29 and then what was you doing for work yeah 28 28 what, what was you doing was you working not working so I was no, I wasn't working. I wasn't working. My clients were very, very nice to me, and, and but they thought something else was going on because I never come out about what's going on. And right, so the, hang on, um, hang on, just two seconds. Uh, and then what else was I going to ask you? So what was you doing? Was you still training yourself? Was fitness helping you at all? Was you still bodybuilding? Was you still running? Was there anything else going on, or was you just no fitness at all at that time? Yeah. I actually stopped bodybuilding in December. I had a I had a heart scare. Obviously, I forgot that. <laughs> I had a heart scare. I thought I was having a heart attack. And the doctors thought I was having a heart attack. And I immediately stopped bodybuilding then. But I was in a I was depressed then as well. Um so yeah, I wasn't bodybuilding, I wasn't training. Um then I wasn't doing anything. I, I, I sat on the chair in the house for the best part of and and in bed for the best part of a month month and a half i'm only slowing you i'm only slowing you for a second just to get some other questions in just in case people you've told us loads right but just so people get a picture so was you an only child or did you have brothers and sisters and like how did your mum and dad feel about all this because do you know what i mean you're like 30 let's just say you were 30 and all this is going on so it's a big worry for people isn't it so did you have brothers and sisters or was it just mum and dad or what was going on that side of it yeah I've got two sisters, my older ones I haven't seen for about 13 years. You can't pick your family, hey. But my younger sister, <laughs> um, she, she's like early 20s. But my mum and dad blamed themselves. Mm. That's all they did. They just blamed, like, they're doing a parent thing. And like, they're, like you say, they're watching their 30-year-old son put in a bad place, like a really, really bad place. Um, and they blame themselves, and then they blame the army, and they blame all these things. But did you... But primarily think, blame themselves. But do you think now, though, right, that now everyone knows you've got bipolar, yeah? Do, and you're, you're, you're like, I can see yeah. online, you're kind of taking meds, you're testing meds, you're adding stuff in, you're not adding stuff. Obviously, it's always work in progress, right? But do those people, do they feel yeah. better now that you're getting what you need? Do they look back and go... Fucking hell, only if we'd known this 10 years ago, five years ago, whatever it is, yeah? Do, do, is that your message in a way? Your message is kind of like, recognise this stuff, or if they don't recognise it, try and push them in the right direction so they get it earlier, because a lot of this could have been prevented if someone picked up on it four or five years previous, couldn't it? Do you know what I mean? 
Yeah, massively. And I think, you know, it's, there, there's loads of, you know, it, we're, we're, there's something really going wrong with why, why us men don't talk out. And, you know, but it's, it's another subject. Yeah. Um, I, my, my, I, I, wish I finish a lot of like talks off of people that I, I only, I, I have one regret at the minute in life and I don't plan on making others. However, regret does prepare you for the future. But I, my biggest regret was not talking sooner. That, 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 that is my biggest regret with life. And I will take that, I will take that to my grave because now I'm so open about it and I want people to understand bipolar and for, and for men because it isn't just being low one time and it isn't just being high. It's complex. I live with it every day. Every, every fucking day, there is a little reminder that I have bipolar. Um, and that's, that's kind of what I want. I want people to, you know, you might not have a mental illness, okay? However, if you're not, if you're not aware of your mental health or, or if you're not very good at mental health hygiene, you, it doesn't mean that you're not going to get something or you're not going to get uh, yourself into mental health complications or mental illness. It's, it's also prevention. And I think that's, that's a part of a cure. It's, it's like in the, the fitness world, it's, it's, it's prehab before rehab. Prevent an injury before it happens. You break your arm, you go to the hospital and you see a doctor and you get it diagnosed and you put a cast on it. And it's obvious, right? For me, our minds are the same. They can break. They need help. They need guidance. They, our, our minds are no different from broken wrist. And but we treat it. We treat it so much differently. We, us guys, are our biggest bullies. We are bullies. And the only people we bully, we don't bully other people for having mental health issues. We fucking bully ourselves. Like right? the only for me, we don't. I was just going to say yeah. that all I was going to add in is I love what you're saying because I know what you're saying. And I'm not saying that you can't go to uni and be a mental health nurse, a psychotherapist, whatever it is, and, and you're not good at your job. But I always think if you've actually been there and you've actually physically felt, because what people don't always grasp is a lot of what happens mentally gives you physical feelings, right? I was the master of anxiety. I was the most amazing storyteller. You'll find people with anxiety or these type of conditions, not so much depressed people, they are the greatest storytellers. They tell their sto story about anything inside their mind and that creates physical feelings, yeah? And what you're saying is true because yeah. it, it, it's not an easy fix. So many people come to me, yes, you're only ever one thought away from being okay. We know that because we've probably both been there. A lot of your story, I'm loving it, but... Like also, it's a long term in the making and it's a long term to get by it. I mean, what is your dream, bud? I love your honesty, mate. I get knocked for being too honest, too open all the time. I get people saying, should you be saying that? Should you be doing this? Sometimes it almost comes across as too much, but that's just me. And I feel you're on exactly the same wavelength. But what's your dream, mate? Where are you headed? Like we know you're a personal trainer. I'm a personal trainer, bud. I'm a, I'm a sports therapist. I just choose not to do it. It's not my, it's not my passion. It's not my dream, but it makes me better maybe at my job and understanding stuff. But what, what is the dream for Dean? I mean, like we've talked about all this, but where do you want to go with it all, mate? Are you doing some sort of events? Are you going to start doing endurance? You're loving Pete Stables. You mentioned him earlier. You know, what, what, what's the dream, mate? Have you got something crazy you want to do to bring more awareness besides talking? Come on, hit me up with some stuff. But I'm I'm always I'm always on this journey of pushing limits. So I was supposed to be doing an Ironman this Sunday in Barcelona. All the, I, I I I I I want to find how far that I can be physically, mentally pushed. Um, and because I love it, that's that's me. I, it's, I'll, I'll go out and do ridiculous things just off a cuff. Like, but I I I want men to be able to understand their mental health. I want I want to understand it. Like I don't, I don't want to walk around with 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 trying to to things like curing stigma and all these things. I I want people to understand their mental health, understand it, because for me, I think that's that's one of the most important parts. Personally, the more I understand bipolar, the better I get, and that that's 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 me. The more I understand it, the better I get, 
and the more stable I get. And it's not going away. It's, Do you find I'm, fitness I'm always help? going to have bipolar. Do you find your fitness journey oh. helps with it? God, if I didn't have fitness, I tell honestly, it, it's a double edge with bipolar because because when you go manic, you get very obsessed. So sure. when I started training for an Ironman, I went, I was in a little bit of a manic episode. I was going to win it. I shit you not, I was going to win that Ironman. No, Dean, you ain't fucking winning the Ironman because you can't swim. <laughs> but um, the uh, yeah, so it has its choose. But for me. I've got different types of training. At the minute, I'm not really training for an event. I've got the fan dance uh, in the thing and I've, I've a couple of things, but it's people like to meditate. That's great. My mindfulness and meditation is walking around the gym and just enjoy being there, pushing what I can do, finding out what my body can do, lifting. Some, sometimes I call, like, I call it going against the grain. So I will go to a training session and I'll have no plan. And everyone should be able to do that. As long as you exercise safely, go in, go and have your time. But get rid of the plan. Just go in there and just put it, put it into your workout. If you want to do an extra rep, go and do an extra rep. Right? You want to go and run a mile, go run a mile. Yeah, right? mate, we get it. Sometimes walking to the gym, you think, I hit up on the air bike for like 10 minutes, just cruising, you know? And then you think, oh, I fancy doing some deadlifts into box jumps. And then, oh, actually, I'm done back for three or four days. I feel like doing some pull-ups. It doesn't matter. Just add it in there. If you feel like it needs it or you want it, just do it. Because they're the times to do it, isn't they? Do you know what I mean? As long as you're, tra like, as long as you're training safely, just, just, just do it. Like, we, we put too much pressure on ourselves. Right, especially especially men. Men put too much pressure on we've we put deadlines on stuff and I think that's quite a bad thing to put in your head. Like you put deadlines on stuff that doesn't need to have a deadline. Um just you know, if you're training for an event, wicked, you're training for an event, okay? And you chose to train for that event. Don't beat yourself up while you're doing it. Don't think you're not worth of something, because right up until the point on that start line, you can choose not to do it. And dude, that's I'm going to ask you some questions before we wrap it up, because I'm going to let this go more longer than more in an hour, right? And I also, I want to get you back on at some point, right? So we're going to see some stuff for the future, okay? But for me, going forward, we know we're going forward, but is there anything that you don't do now, right? So we're just kind of pulling this in together now. So do you drink anymore, for example, alcohol at all? Nah. No, I, I'd, I'd be like once a year, but it won't be drinking. It'll be just, I'll just, I'll have a sip of beer or something and then yeah. I'll realise I don't like it. You obviously don't do drugs anymore. There are no, yeah. Yeah. And steroids and all, is it all gone or do you still do tests or anything? Because, mate, you're in amazing shape, so. No, nothing, nothing touches my body that has that bracket of steroids no more. I couldn't, it, I don't, and nah, I just, for me now, it's, it's, I'm not being true to myself. And also with mental health, you've got to control the controllables that can affect your mental health. Steroids, alcohol, drugs, all of these things affect it. So you've got to look after it. You've got, you've got to say no to some things. Yeah. It's always a part of me, though, that I'd be honest with you, there's a part of me that would. Like, there always will be, because, because I'm very obsessive, and I, I want to be, like, I'm honest. Like, there is a time, sometimes I sit down and go, do you know what? Dean, why are you not using growth hormones again? Why are you not <laughs> running a test cycle? Why are you not doing this? But I'm being honest. Like, I, 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 it's not so much I can't. I choose not to. But ultimately, I could choose to do it. And tr trust me, there is times when I was training for the Ironman, I was like, my body's battered. However, it might not be as battered if I ran a test D cycle. <laughs> I think the happen. thing is, people don't realise is, and I think they've got to get this about you as a person, this is knocking you on any level at all, dude. It's the fact that you're not the type of guy who could just TRT some tests for the next 10 years. You're the type of guy that once you start putting it in there, you ain't going to stick on 100 mg a week. You're going to be blitzing it up to 1,000. I think that's things people have got to realise about you. That's the problem. You do not do these things because you, you can't do them in moderation. And that's why you have to try and remove everything and then 
and keep yourself the way you are because that's how it keeps you online. Does that make sense? So do you agree with that? <laughs> you literally just opened opened the biggest page in my book. It, yeah. It's 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 easy to say no than to say yes and try and stop it. Like there is no off button. Like Dean, right? I'm gonna wrap this up. I am hundred percent gonna have you back on, mate. You I just want to round this up for people, right? You are one of the most loveliest guys, right? Love your honesty, love your story, mate. There's nothing that don't come in this story. We've got like childhood wreckhead, drugs, alcohol, the rest of it. Standard, we've all been there. I used to love like, having me B&H and like doing me drugs and all whatever when I was a kid. So been there, done that myself, right? You've done the army, mate. You've come out, you've done your country proud, you're hard grafter, you can see that. Bodybuilding, you obviously still got the mass now, you look phenomenal. People can go and check you out. I'll let you sell yourself in a minute, right? And I love your honesty, but I love the fact you're promoting mental health, right? You understand where you are at, where your limitations lay. You also understand your limitations. And that's what I like about you as well, mate. And look, bud, if people want to find you, where can they find you and reach out to you online, for example? Yeah, I mean, through, through the Instagram uh, account, like I'm very selective on it in terms of when I, when I use it to talk back to people because it's self-care. Um, so yeah, on the new element conditioning, um my my facebook page um not my personal facebook i learned a lot about self-care with social media i've only just actually come back on it um so yeah it's it's main it's it's through the business platforms and and my personal one just remains that way it's it's very close friends on there look dude thank you so much for coming on i'm 100 percent gonna have you back on and i will catch you soon all right buddy Bye, Keep doing what you're doing, mate. I tell you, <laughs> it's um, it's it's good, mate. It's refreshing. Don't stop. Thanks, buddy.